0: Yes, it is, and welcome back, Monday, January fourth, twenty twenty. Phone number six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. If you want to call in and discuss things with my guest uh, Brandon Weikert and me, happy to take your calls. I think Brandon is one of. Um, one of my uh, regular guests who never fails to get calls and feedback, which is always nice and welcoming. Love to love to have you. It's like a guest lecturer coming in every Monday and sharing his thoughts. But Brandon, of course, is the publisher of the Weikert Report and the, one of the great books of last this past year, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. Brandon, how are you, sir?
1: I'm okay. How are you?
0: Fine. Happy New Year to you.
1: Happy New Year to you as well.
0: Here's to a better 2021. You betcha. You betcha. And, <laughs> and and a happy and healthy one for you sir and your family. Thank you. You bet. You cover Thank a you. lot of territory and you are capable and very more than able very much more than able in covering a lot of territory. It usually starts with foreign policy and then we can do some domestic and then we it, gets into domestic as well. But just given the immediacy um, of uh, the election tomorrow in Georgia, let me start there with you if I can. Um, I'm I'm a little surprised, I have to tell you, maybe I shouldn't be. I'm a little surprised how tight the polling has it. Um, I guess Georgia has been in this place for some time that we haven't wanted to recognize. But boy, it's an uncomfortable feeling thinking that all the king's men and horses of the Republican Party are trying to save Georgia right now, which is really just a, um, a, uh, a version of trying to save the United States.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, if you're going to ask me to make my prediction, as you know, uh, three or four weeks ago after the presidential election, I told you uh, that I was concerned about I yeah. thought she was very weak, but I thought Purdue was a slam dunk. So I thought at least they're going to be walking away with one Senate seat. After the abysmal performance of Mitch McConnell in failing to authorize the stimulus checks that everybody that I know needs to survive, uh, through no fault of their own, by the way, they were all gainfully employed until the government shut their businesses and then shut their industry down and uh, offered no form of uh, safety net for them to land into, uh, uh, when McConnell became the story last week by saying, you know, $600 is more than enough. Uh, He basically sealed, I think, the Republican Party's fate in this election. Mm. And then you you pile on with what the president's been saying, casting doubt on, you know, whether the elections are valid at all and corruption in Georgia, whether he means to or not. I think it's fair to say that there are many Republicans in Georgia who simply aren't going to turn out to vote, because why would they? And uh, I look at the, look at the Democrats and I see them galvanized, and we have to also remember Georgia has over the last twelve years become uh, a hotbed of uh, Hollywood and specifically the hip hop hip hop uh, culture. Mm. so you have a lot of very blue voting people who call Atlanta specifically, but Georgia generally their home now as opposed to Los Angeles and New York and So it really doesn't surprise me when I see Georgia is kind of a purplish state now, um, and the Republicans just haven't been playing very well. I think the Republicans, especially the elected Republicans and the establishment Republicans, I don't really think they know how significantly the country has changed, especially in the last four years, and not all in their favor. And um, they're still playing by the rules of the 1990s. And they should have really been updating their rule book and their playbook to get more dynamic, but they haven't. And I have a feeling, sadly—I hope I'm wrong—but I have a feeling that they will be paying the price for this uh, in another day.
0: Boy, uh, that's that's interesting, and, and and I and I and I hope not true uh, at at the, at the ballot box tomorrow, or at the once we get to the results, because it does seem to me that um you the, that the Democrats played a pretty poor hand. Um, as lousy a hand as they could in putting forward Raphael Warnock, at least him. He's the Democrat running against leffler Right. And that she can't be creaming him in polling by at right. least five, you know, really by at least double digits, to be honest with you. When you look at how radically left wing this man is, it is the equivalent, maybe worse, given some of the personal stuff in his background. But it is the equivalent of running Jeremiah Wright. Right and uh and and it, to the the notion that the democrats would would be um happy to affiliate with that tells you i think that the democrats see this country perhaps um differently than a lot of republicans see this country yeah. in not policy sense but the mood and the taste of the country you look around at the blm protests and their and riots and their popularity um, you look at uh, you know d- uh, Democratic mayors and governors and some Republicans too, giving lip service to this outwardly um, Marxist organization without right. any qualms whatsoever. And 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 you're right, this couldn't have happened in the '90s. Um, but here you right. have in Georgia a man who preaches like Jeremiah Wright and has um, a personal background. Like, I I don't know what the analogy is, but it's 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 certainly not a good one. There's a lot. There's there's a lot of stuff that you would look at this man on paper and say, this is not a candidate for the U.S. Senate, much less the U.S. House, much less mayor.
1: And I think you're right. And I think I think, though, where the Republican Party and Republican voters might be wrong is they've yet to reconcile their beliefs. Which I think were forged for the most part in the 60s to the 90s, they've yet to recognize that I think the Democrats probably have a better idea of where the country is socially, if not politically and economically, unfortunately, than uh, the Republicans do. And um, I think that the Democrats knew exactly what they were doing when they put Warnock in. I mean, if you think about it, uh, you have a very large African American population sure. in Georgia, it has been growing. Uh, they are very, very fond of Warnock, uh, particularly someone like him. He's, a, he's a preacher. He's, he's involved with the community. He's, he's very popular among that voting block. And that voting block is galvanized uh, in a way that they haven't been since really Barack Obama ran for office, uh, in 2008. And you saw the turnout coming for Biden as well. And, uh, it's, it, 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 I think. This is a very calculated thing by the left, and I think they might have, I I hope not, but I think they might have an idea, uh, a better idea, that um, maybe the country really has turned away from, and we talked about this last week, from it being a center-right nation to being a generally center-left nation. I was flying Delta up to D.C. before I got the COVID uh, for an event with the Pentagon that I was doing, and uh, Delta was the airline, and the steward was wearing a, a gold medallion. And when I stared at it, it was a fist. It was a clenched fist. Uh-huh. And uh, the the whole flight crew, I realized, was wearing that medallion. I didn't say anything, of course, no. but I just thought that was very interesting because that is an overtly Marxist revolutionary symbol. And they are... got you kicked out of the U.S. Team.
0: Olympic team in
1: 1968. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And here's this huge American company like Delta, and they have their stewards and stewardesses and flight crew... Wearing it proudly as if it's you know uh, you know an American flag lapel. Isn't, it's very. Isn't that odd. interesting? You're living in a very different time. Yeah, it's a very yeah. different
0: country that we have to reckon with. I got some pushback on yours in my thesis on whether we're a center-right or center-left country or just a left country or a right country. And I'll get into that with you a little bit. I'll summarize right. some of the pushback we got because I, I, I'm, I'm still of my opinion, but it, there are legitimate uh, asterisks around it that others were pointing out. We'll do that in a moment. But let me just say, you know, Brandon, on this point of where the Democrats see this country are, um, they, you know, certainly Joe Biden, certainly the leadership of the Democratic Party they keep telling us we're, we're not radicals. Uh, do I look like a socialist is what Joe Biden said. <laughs> I don't know what a socialist right. looks like. <laughs> My college professors, right. I suppose, is what they looked like. <laughs> but uh, but then the House, you know, renominates Nancy Pelosi. And one of the first things she does right. is she strips uh, 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 gender gender language out of out of yeah. uh, uh, out of the rules of the House. Man, woman, mother, son okay. are gone. Right, of course, out of the socialist playbook, (laughs) or at least the Frederick Engels playbook.
1: And I think it's important to understand about Biden, though, that audio that was leaked of his phone call with McConnell right after his election. Yeah. uh, He made it clear that he wanted McConnell to hold the Senate because it sounded to me like Biden is scared that if his party wins a supermajority, as I fear they will, that he's going to have to govern as a radical leftist. And, and while I do think he's a liberal, I wonder if he's maybe old school 1970s Democrat Party where he's radical, but not <laughs> radical in the way that AOC is. Maybe. And so I think he's scared. I think he's scared that he's going to have to fulfill some of these really radical notions that his own party has been pushing for the last at least two years.
0: All right. I have, I have a thesis on that. I'll share when we come back. There's a good tease for you. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Brandon Weicker. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us. He is the publisher of The Weikert Report, com, and, of course, the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T is how he spells his last name. Brandon, right before the break, you were postulating that uh, Joe Biden may be a little worried about um, ha- the Demo- giving the Democratic Party all accelerator and no break because right. of uh, inclination not to be um, as radically left wing as the party direction or the direction the party's going to and uh it's 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 entirely possible you're right I don't think it's I don't think um that it'll matter I'll, and I'll tell you why I I don't think Joe I think Joe Biden is the temo- democratic version of Mitt Romney I I think he has no core convictions quite honestly
1: right
0: and um and and will do where he, he will be where the party puts him. He will be in the center of where the party is. And the, and 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 that's what makes to me the importance of winning at least one seat in Georgia so damn important, because you and I both know that there are, of course, um whatever it is, Joe Biden thinks on a given day. But you know, numerous advisors, analysts, deputy secretaries, deputy assistants who really will be running the left wing show here. And you can stop certain tragedies via legislation in the Senate. More importantly, if he goes via executive order, the Senate is, of course, uh, the pathway for the federal judiciary, which is really the only place to stop an executive order. I just think it's so darned crucial. Um, that um, that we may maintain it, and if we don't, uh, boy, it's Katie bar the door.
1: Um, yeah, and I, I, but I do think that it's important to understand that Joe Biden was put there by the moneyed interests uh, in this country, and maybe even beyond. Um, and I think that the moneyed interests do not want a radical left wing uh, uh, policy agenda going forward. Remember at the height of the BLM and Tifa protests over the summer, one of the first acts these groups did was to set up a guillotine in front of Jeff Bezos' mansion, or mm-hmm. one of them. I remember and, and remember, Bezos ostensibly, you know, is supportive of these left-wing causes. Well, that doesn't seem to be enough to buy sympathy or goodwill uh, from those groups when they feel empowered. In fact, they tend to target people like him first. Uh, so... I think that the Biden represents that sort of uh, uh, you know technocratic uh, neoliberal uh, Democrat elite, and they don't want a far left wing uh, power grab. And I think they're really counting on, however quietly, uh, for the Republicans to get at least one of those two Senate seats, so that there can be a degree of breaks uh, put in to what will be, if they don't win, what will be uh, a Democrat supermajority. That will look much more closely like the AOC, Ilan Omar policy agenda than it will any kind of Biden sort of uh, you know neoliberal 1990s agenda. Uh, And Biden having no core convictions, you're right. If that is the way it goes, yes, he will govern as a leftist happily, so long as if he can be the 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 front of the movement. And um, that's very sad. It's very scary. You um, you, but, you uh, may be
0: right. Yeah. On the other hand, you and I have a may have a disagreement here. You may be right. On the other hand, um, I think most of the moneyed interests in the Democratic Party are either pretty left wing as it is already. I give you the case of your example with Delta. That's a pretty moneyed interest. And you look at the kinds the companies that gave so much money to Black Lives Matter. Um, on, on the one hand, and on the other, I think to the degree they're not, it's that group of people that says, "Oh, that's just the left will do what the left will do." They don't think it's that important. They don't care about what Nancy Pelosi is doing yeah. with regard to language at the House. So they're in the House of Representatives. So they're they're either basically left wing or insouciant. I I tend to believe the moneyed interests in the Democratic Party are fairly left wing. Now you may be right. Of course, they have corporate interests. Um, so there's perhaps maybe we agree that they're socially left-wing and economically a little bit more moderate. But I'm not so sure. Yeah. I'm not so sure.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think that the it's very interesting that these companies have no problem virtue signaling. Yeah. But when it comes to, for instance, look at this debate raging right now between the far left and the left in the House, uh, between Jimmy Dore and uh, the, uh, the, the AOC wing, uh, and, and Nancy Pelosi, you had this Medicare for All push being pushed by a very select group of far-left activists, and the far-left activists were being poo-pooed by AOC and the squad, uh, by the Progressive Caucus, uh, because they said that was at the time. And the reason I think that they were saying that is because the moneyed interests were really saying, we don't mind you changing gender pronouns and whatnot yeah. in the house, but you better not do anything that's going to go after our moneyed interests. Yeah. And I think that's the key. I think that these companies and these rich people on the left, they think that by virtue signaling to the left, it will basically prevent the, the people with pitchforks from showing up at their front yard first. Better to have it go to the middle class and lower classes who happen to vote these days more Republican and are traditional uh, social believers. Uh, and so I think that's what's really at play here.
0: That's interesting uh, as to whether you can have or whether the left thinks or the, the Democrats think you can have a sociology of leftism and an economics of centrism, a centrist economic plan with a with a sociology of leftism. I'm, I'm just thinking it about it as I say it. I don't have a firm thought on it, but it's what I'm hearing you perhaps suggesting it is the, the lay of the land.
1: Yeah. yeah, most people that you meet in life, and this is a common thing, I, I when I talk to people who aren't very politically active, they always say, well, I'm socially liberal yeah. and I'm economically right. conservative. Right. Well, you can't be that. Right. Obviously, that's, that's not a kind of a contradiction. We know many this many on many our side, yes.
0: Yes, on our side, we know you this. Know? Yeah, right, right. And I wonder how the left sees it. I, I remember Milton Friedman in the opening In the opening of his classic book, he talks about people uh, speaking about socialist countries that are dickering around with this kind of experiment. Can they be uh, economically collective – can they be economically uh, collective – excuse me, economically capitalist? Can they be economically capitalist and socially uh, Marxist or uh, Maoist? And he concludes that they cannot—you cannot have that division—that you either have liberty or you don't have liberty; you either esteem freedom or you don't esteem freedom. And I wonder if the left is 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 just trying to play that game on the other side. It's kind of interesting.
1: I think they are trying to play that game, and and, and I think it's going to fail horribly for them.
0: Well, I think I think it is, but I think that the die has been cast because when you look at you know moneyed interests and where are they. Uh, socially. That's one thing. But then take a look at someone like Jack Dorsey. I'll never get this out of my head. Jack Dorsey gives 10 million bucks to Ibram Kendi at Boston University. Ibram Kendi says you cannot be a capitalist and an anti-racist. So the left (laughs) knows what they're doing, right? The left understands that there's no division. I'm not sure moderate Democrats do. Let me me hit the break. We can pick up on that. And I also want to get to your recent column on China and the EU, which is fascinating as well. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back with more from Brandon Weikert. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Delighted to have Brandon Weikert with us, author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower. We'll get to foreign policy in just a minute, um, Brandon always makes me think, and, and you put me in mind this notion, Brandon. You said it, I, I, it went by me. I, I didn't seize on it when you said it, and I, I should have. When, when you said it's an impossibility when conservatives say they're socially liberal and economically conservative or moderate, or they're socially moderate and economically conservative, it's an impossibility further if that's what liberals are saying. Um, and, and, and the reason it's an impossibility is that I, I I think we learned I think we learned as conservatives that you cannot divorce the social from the i mean economic at based is is how you organize your social life your family life that 's what the word means right. And what do you do when you have two parties that have the same economic theory and the same social liberal theory I think right. we're, I think we have a real problem I think by the way that's been the problem of the Republican Party since at least oh I don't know uh, the new deal
1: it has but I think I think Seth this is something and I say this with a heavy heart I think the Republican party also needs to maybe come come to a moment where they say maybe maybe the Democrats have won the big issue, Uh, and, uh, you know, Trump won in 2016 in part because he did not say he was going to do what Paul Ryan wanted to do and get rid of Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. He said, I'm going to manage those things better. I'm going to make sure that you, as a citizen, get what you are entitled to. That's a very different, you know, argument than the conservative orthodoxy has been, and so, well, he's know, the maybe, one promoting
0: think, a $2,000 stimulus check, right? I mean, as opposed right, to the I leadership of right the Republican Party, right? Yeah.
1: Yes, and I think he's right to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think the Republicans need to abandon some of this sort of dogmatic approach to economic and social policies because the Democrats have, and they're winning. And so maybe it's time for the Republicans, whether they want to or not, to just say, hey, look, there are certain things Americans want. And it's a lot easier to, to promote that than it is to try to fight them because, you know, the Republicans are the ones who tend to be the biggest losers on these issues because it, it also hurts that Republicans don't really have a sympathetic media on a good day. And so, you know, the Democrats can get away with having two contradictory view, viewpoints because the media is going to cover for them and then academia will come up with a newfangled theory justifying it and then pop culture will promote them as the heroes and the people with hearts. And the Republicans are always cast as, you know, the idiots and the, you know, the heartless ones and the misers. And so maybe the Republicans need to just get a bit savvier at, um, you know, uh, uh, being electorally um, capable. And they're not really being anymore. And they haven't been for a while. Remember Mitt Romney? It was supposed to be a slam dunk victory for him. And I argue his selection of Paul Ryan was the beginning of the end for him. Because people didn't like Paul Ryan, and they already didn't like the fact that Mitt Romney was considered to be an out-of-touch business guy. Uh, You know, the vulture capitalist, And that was a Newt Gingrich phrase, by the way, that Obama picked up on. Uh, And, uh, you know, with Trump, you know, they they tried that, but but in 2016, he was giving those speeches where he was consistently saying he wanted to protect Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. It probably explains why he got a lot of the older white working-class voters switch from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. And it's one of the reasons, I think, why he probably lost in November, because he stopped talking like that and started sounding more like an Ayn Rand objectivist, and people aren't there anymore.
0: That's interesting, but because it makes me want to – well, I'll ask you. It makes me ask you if the major distinction then, Democratic-Republican parties, not at the leadership level – but on the ground, you know, uh, in, in in the grassroots, I wonder if you think the major distinctions are not economic at all anymore, but just social. Um, you know, it's, it's I do. It, 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 and, and they may be. I, I'm inclined to think that you might be right particularly about that.
1: With my generation. Right. And yeah, what's funny about generation.
0: that is how much we're told. I mean, you, you've heard it a million times if you've heard it once that we lose when we talk on the social issues, stay away from the yeah. social issues. When it dawns on me, maybe that's what people want most. And by the way, yeah, not only people, not just, you know, the wide swath of of America, but and I think Trump actually was pretty good at this in 2016, but particularly underrepresented, underprivileged and minority communities. Let me let me let me leave that thought with you when we come for when we come right back, because it may be it may be that this this electoral pot of gold that has been so elusive for the Republican Party in the underrepresented and minority communities has been the – has been resultant of the very thing the experts tell us not to do, which is stay away from t- – which is talk social issues. They tell us not to talk so- social issues. Stay away from the social issues. Maybe that's been our barrier and, ha- and and we're only now just waking up to it. Maybe Trump understood that in 2016. We'll come right back. Want to put in a word for my favorite product. I take it every single day. It's balance of nature, all organic, fruits and veggies picked at the peak of ripeness, third-party tested for All kinds of impurities. You're getting strong, potent, good, healthy stuff from spinach and garlic to bananas, blueberries and oranges in one daily dose. Tens of thousands of vital nutrients from what I consider to be the most effective whole food supplement on the market. Boost your energy, boost your immunity, improve your health with Balance of Nature just once a day. And they're making it easy for you, giving you free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies, which is what I take. Give them a call at 800 or go to balanceofnature.com and make sure to use discount code Balance. I credit my health all of last year to my Balance of Nature. We're talking to Brandon Weikert of the Weikert Report. And Brandon, I was just postulating to you before the break that the thing the consultants tell Republicans to stay away from—social issues—may be the very thing that has kept us from entering into seemingly impermeable uh, uh, groups, mar- uh, margins, and 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 communities from the underprivileged, underrepresented to the minority.
1: Maybe. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think particularly uh, the abortion issue is is not as clear cut against the right as the media would have you believe. Um, I think that the winning ticket for any Republican going forward has to be a combination of what you might call economic populism or economic nationalism, uh, coupled with traditional conservative social values. That is the path forward. Um, And the Republican Party, I don't know yet if they are capable of making that argument. Um, and, um, you know, we, we will see what time, time will tell, uh, whether they can make that switch from sort of this Ayn Rand, libertarian, bizarre, uh, you know, objectivist philosophy to something resembling a real sort of, um, uh, economic populist and, uh, social con- conservative, uh, movement that most, I think, Republican voters and most American voters in general Favor.
0: I think you're right about that because, you know, Ayn Rand and that kind of viewpoint, it's fun, I suppose, and it's attractive to young libertarian inclined um, uh, uh, high school and college students. But it turns out it doesn't work out very well in the real world. What do I mean by the real world? I mean, Ohio. I mean, Pennsylvania. I mean, Michigan. Right. It turns out that yeah. it doesn't work out very well when you're trying to have healthy communities that yeah. uh, what what's a healthy community? It's a community um, that that esteems family, a um, f- uh, uh, family unit and employment. That's a healthy community um, job well, Seth, and a remember, family.
1: Just remember, just remember quickly, Ayn Rand in her final years died on welfare.
0: I did, I did not know that. I did not know
1: was. She she was on welfare in her final years. I have a meme that I created on my Twitter that's been getting a lot of buzz. It's a picture of Karl Marx, a black and white picture, next to a picture of Ayn Rand. And I asked my audience, who harmed America more, Karl Marx or Ayn Rand? Um, I think actually probably Ayn Rand did, because her social values, or lack thereof, Uh, ended up becoming uh, the primary social policy for the Republican Party from the 1970s onward. And so, you know, here we are, we've been gutted socially, we've fixated on economics so so specifically, and economics that is perceived among many voters to favor only the rich. Now, we can argue about that, but I've learned, particularly in today's age of social media and 24-hour news, that perception is power, mm-hmm. and good luck trying to beat people out of their perception,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, particularly if you're a Republican. Mm-hmm. So it would be better if we just embraced a more socially conservative, maybe the, um, the, the, the ideas of Eric Hoffer, for instance. Well, you know what's interesting you say
0: that? It's interesting you say that because when, um, when I was working in D.C. in the think tank world – um, the think tanks, uh, this goes back, you were talking about it being in the 90s. This goes back to the, the, the mid, early mid-90s. You know, the effort was very socially conservative. It was about education yeah. reform, and there were about yeah. five or six fatherhood initiative-type family organizations. Right. And uh, Jim Dobson and Gary Bauer and Family Research Co- Co- uh, Council, they were all on the march, and um, – and, and it seems to me providing the medicine, the very medicine uh, of that, which maybe they were ahead of their time, uh, ails us now. But all so, that well, leadership is gone. It's all gone yeah. now, it seems.
1: So it, was, it was bought out. It was either bought out or crushed by the libertarian big donors. And we see this right now. I mean, in 2016, we saw at City Journal, we saw several movements where the big donors came in at Hoover and said, you don't support Trump. Under any circumstance, I don't care what you say or do, you can't support. Well, these were not Democrats that were saying that. These were libertarian, mostly, donors who had been donating to the GOP causes for many years because they didn't like that Trump was talking about protectionism positively. They didn't like that Trump was talking about immigration. They didn't like the fact that Trump was talking about um, uh, these socially conservative values um, and, um, uh, and so they worked against him from within and they made sure the people that got promoted over the last four years were those people who were bought and paid for by them. We have a lot of grifters on our side of the aisle. The Democrats do too, but right now I've been fixated on identifying and working against those grifters because they are leading this party astray. We are on, un- we are untethered from the will of the American people right now. And that makes us, you know, an inability to adapt to a dynamic environment is the end of any political party. And right now, the Republican Party, because of this libertarian ethos that has captured the top of the party, it, it makes the GOP unable to adapt. And we are losing, bigly.
0: Well, it's interesting, as I'm thinking about the African-American vote, I'm looking at a poster here across from my studio, Of Larry Elder on his documentary Uncle Tom and I'm thinking about the black conservative voices that have um, really really found a nice uh, you know a a nice um, what's the word I want a nice reception a good reception uh, from more and more conservatives saying I'm glad we have more and more black conservative voices and when you think about who they are if you think about your Larry Elders you think about your Candace Owens I could go on and on and on Um, these are not These are not libertarians. Now, Larry Elder once was. He's not anymore. He's not anymore. These are social conservatives. The most popular African-American conservatives now, today, tend to be socially conservative. What do they know that white Republicans don't? They know a lot more than what white Republicans don't, it seems to me. Anyway. Brandon, we didn't even get to foreign policy. Can we do it next
1: time? <laughs> sure thing. Sure thing.
0: God bless you, brother. I really appreciate you. Brandon Weikert, we have fun every Monday. Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower is his book. And, uh, God, he always makes me think. New thoughts, good thoughts. Hopefully right ones, too. Right thinking. Brandon Weikert, thank you, sir. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson show. Boy, how easily and quickly people forget things. I was just looking over some polling uh, that uh, Julie Kelly had captured uh, from only a year to two years ago about percentages of uh, Democrats. Only two years ago, percentages of Democrats who thought that um, who thought that uh, Donald Trump was the president as a result of uh, Russian collusion and hacking uh, of the DNC email system. Eighty-seven percent in one poll. Eighty-seven percent believed the Russians uh, elected Donald Trump only two years ago. Only two years ago. Boy, you can create a narrative when you own the media. You sure can. And when you own um, one of two political parties in America, you, you really can. And when you see what The Washington Post did with this phone call from Donald Trump Secretary of State of Georgia and how they just put it up immediately no question as to the kind of questioning they put through the Hunter Biden information well we think it's Russian to him well you know it was it was it was fully sourced they they went fast they are moving fast it's going to make 2021 quite special unless we conservatives figure out a better way to answer the media I am convinced that but for the way big media big tech media social media and mainstream media c- colluded with the Democratic Party. But for that, I am convinced there would be no question that Donald Trump would have um, won this presidency convincingly, won the re election convincingly. The polling bears it out. The polling in swing states bears it out. Stories about Hunter Biden, Biden voters didn't know about. Stories about um, uh, Donald Trump renouncing. Uh, a denouncing white supremacists that the that 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 Biden voters didn't know about, convincingly different outcome of this election, were the media not all in the tank and they're on it now, and they're on it now in a way that's going to try and affect the Georgia election tomorrow. They're gonna they're, they're, you listen to Secretary of State of Georgia, you you listen to his weird interview with Martha McCallum, very odd. Very odd. She asks him a question about whether he thought releasing the the phone call with the audio of the phone call with Donald Trump would affect the Senate races. You know what he said? He, He said, David Perdue owes me an apology and has for some time now. What a weird tell. Talk about saying the quiet part out loud. It looks like the secretary of state in Georgia... A Republican, I guess, nominally, was trying to influence the election that takes place in Georgia tomorrow. There's a lot of reckonings we have to have, including with what I guess fancily we would call soi-disant Republicans or wannabe Republicans. It's enough of them taking good Republican voters' money and then acting with all they have as Democrats We'll be right back with Professor Don Siegel as a great column on the coronavirus. We'll be right back.